On today's episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast, we are headed back to the indie market. Lanier Burton of CoolestDolo.com and From Scratch Comics sits down to talk about his creative process and some of his favorite creations. The Byword begins now. Welcome into another exclusive episode of the Nerd by Word podcast, the podcast that loves dunking on homophobes, racists, and comics gate bros on social media. I'm here with Dave, I'm Chris, and we are here to bring you another uh, great episode featuring Lanier Burton of From Scratch Comics. Uh, you can find his work also at CoolestDolo.com. Really great stuff. Really insightful uh mind of like the creative process multifaceted individual whether it's music whether it's uh music whether it's comics really really fascinating conversation that i had the pleasure of of having uh a few weeks back um but first it would be an incomplete show without Uh, Dave, I'm, I'm pretty angry about your news story, so let's go ahead and get this one out of the way. Yeah, so as a lifelong Nintendo fanboy, I just need to say, Nintendo, uh, you, you kind of messed up, guys. I hate to break it to you. You had my money, and then you decided you wanted too much. So uh, back in September, uh, Nintendo announced that they would be adding N64 and Genesis games to their Nintendo Online service. Now, the Nintendo Online service, of course, uh, cost about 20 bucks a month for a single Switch. And for the family pl- plan, th- no, that's 20 bucks a year, excuse me, uh, for a single Switch and $35 a year for up to seven additional switches and what they dubbed the family plan. Now, this is a, a great deal in that you don't only get the uh, capability of playing against people online, but also access to somewhere around 100 classic NES and Super Nintendo games. So in September, they announced that they're going to add N64 and Genesis games to the mix, but they conspicuously did not announce a price, and that got some people sweating. Well, the other shoe has dropped. The Nintendo Online expansion will now cost $50 a year for an individual Switch or $80 for the family plan. To which I say, uh, do what now? Because, like, you know, Genesis games all nice and good, but the, we're talking about, you know, games that are basically of the SNES generation. So those should just be included with the base plan. The real bonus here, the thing that people have been really looking for, is the addition of N64 games. And the list of games announced includes a whopping nine, count them, nine Nintendo 64 games. Nine Nintendo 64 games. And for access to those, I'm supposed to be paying $80 a month on the family plan because obviously my wife and I each have our own Switch. So that's just like ridiculous. Um, Way overpriced. Um, If you compare something like this to, I don't know, Game Pass, where you get, you know, over 100 current uh, and last gen games... 
uh, for about $120 a year. And now we're talking about nine 20-year-old games that we have to pay $80 a year for. Like, it just absolutely boggles the mind. And I, and I really love Nintendo. I love their product. I always have since I was a little kid. But, you know, I think sometimes... Nintendo fans are just a glutton for punishment. Like we'll pay about anything to, you know, relive the classics, relive our childhoods. But, you know, on this one, I just have to draw the line and say, you know what, Nintendo, no. My N64 is hooked up in my gaming room. It works perfectly fine. I got a pretty good collection of N64 games. I have some of the N64 remakes that are available on the DS my 3DS is still running strong. I absolutely see no need to shell out this kind of money for access to less than 10 N64 games. So shame on you, Nintendo, for once again squeezing your fans for everything that they're worth. At some point, you're going to start alienating people because this Nintendo fanboy has about had enough at this point, Chris. Yeah, um, and I think I've shared this anecdote before but uh one of the guys at my local GameStop said that uh, nintendo is the apple of video games and i don't think i've ever heard a truer statement in in video that's games. fair yeah that's uh, absolutely because fair. because when you think about it and that this was just when i was talking about like why are games for the switch that have been out for three or four years why are they still full price why is that and he said you know they're basically the apple like they have that exclusivity you have to come through them to get them and they know that and, and they milk that for everything. So, um, you know, as far as it comes to iPhones, you know, I'm, I'm going to be there. Um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll wait to upgrade. I don't need to go upgrade to the latest one. I'm, I'm good with my iPhone 11 right now. But um, when it comes to Nintendo, I'm, I'm right there with you. I have to draw the line on this. Like, it would be much more feasible for me to go visit our friendly neighborhood um, uh video game shop and buy a brand new N64 that's been refurbished and much more than nine games. And that would, would probably cost less than this family plan, at least, you know, after the first year. So it, it's just wild to me. And, um, you know, when you put it apples to apples, apples to oranges, whatever the comparison, you know, I, after the initial, you know, fervor that I had last year when I bought the switch, I've gone right back to the Xbox and I play, I use game pass every day. I've got um, back for blood. I haven't even um, gotten into it yet, but I mean like, so you think about it like 1499 a month, part of it, thanks to you and your hack with Microsoft rewards. Most of the time it's paying for itself. And I get back for blood, a triple a game on, on launch day. And I can pre download it. You know, that's one of our nitpicks about current gen consoles is you have to download the game first um, but if I can preload it and then as soon as it officially releases, I can play it first day for no additional cost to a service that's kind of paying it for itself anyway. Like there's no comparison. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. All right, Chris, what are you bringing to the news desk? It looks like you're talking about Superman. Yeah, well, um, I'm, we're going to be talking about the, um, the news story that uh, the nerd news story that went big. Like, so it went CNN and everything. So it was revealed in, in a preview of Superman Son of Kal-El number five um, that is set to come out soon that um, it was revealed that uh, John Kent, 
is bisexual. I don't I don't know that there is a particular coming out, but there is a a panel preview of uh, John kissing um, boyfriend friend uh, Jay Nakamura, who was previously introduced in the second issue of the series. Um, and I did in, in research for this story, I, I read up on the first three issues and, and I'm really enjoying the series. So, um, of course, this made big national news because not to be a gatekeeper, a bunch of normies were like, Superman is bisexual. And they immediately thought it was Clark. And then there was a, a Lewis Lane, Louis Lane that was dragged. Poor Louis Lane. Um, and, and to the fact where writer Tom Taylor um, you know, went on CNN. He's like, I don't know who Louis Lane is, um, but I hope that they're having a wonderful day. Um, so it's just wild. And um, so I, I I got the chance to sit down and talk with my friend, Steve, um, who is featured on our sibling podcast, X of Words, who also does um, X's for Podcasts, another fantastic mutant podcast. Um as an individual who is bisexual, it felt like much more nuanced and much more on the nose of like, Hey, let's talk to someone from the actual community. What does this mean to you rather than me, you know, just a fan, but you know, I just hope we get to the point eventually, Dave, where it's like, you know, Peter Parker goes to another lady friend, like, okay. And when you actually have friends of, of different backgrounds of different orientations, like, it's not a big deal. Like, can he still punch and kick and be a superhero? Like we're really getting caught up and the, and, and the homophobes were really showing themselves like coming out of the woodwork. So this was kind of like the light flashing on and they were scattering all around the room because they, it's the usual tropes of uh, that they use and excuses of, Oh, it's just lazy writing and all this and all that. And it, it's just exhausting. But for the people that feel, you know, represented here today um who feel acknowledged and 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 feel empowered by this news in the same way that you know my kids felt empowered and heard with you know a film like black panther with um a film like uh into the spider-verse with uh miles morales at the front and center of that like cheers to them and this is who we should be talking about and who we should be celebrating and not these idiots that we admittedly do enjoy dunking on yeah this one is a is a great story in a number of ways you know way to hit the mainstream again for comic book news uh was literally all over the place everybody was talking about it regardless of whether they were qualified to actually have an opinion on this uh as as a comic book fan or as uh, somebody from the lgbtq community so you know uh, a lot of uh, a lot of bad takes flying around on there you know as, as somebody who is you know uh, just a, a regular old straight white guy. I don't think I'm really qualified to talk a lot about what that, you know, particular outing means to people to have, you know, a Superman who is also bisexual. I will say from a writing perspective, I think this is very interesting. I think it's one of many things that differentiates um, John from his dad as a Superman and as a character. Uh, and that's one of the things that keeps that particular series really interesting is just kind of seeing John find his way um, into the role of Superman and how he is in many ways extremely different from his dad and what that looks like. Um, so I'm I'm really excited about this and pretty much every development coming out of the series right now. It, it's very well written. Um, 
really, really strong stuff. The art is gorgeous, and I'm just really enjoying the series. There is a small part of me that I think will forever more bellyache about how Bendis stepped in and aged up John Kent at a time when the character was just so wonderfully clicking. Um, but I am so glad that, you know, after Bendis' departure, we finally now have a team on the character that really is moving, you know, the character forward and is making, you know, aged up John Kent actually work for me. Because this is the first time, I think, that the characters really clicked for me since Bendis aged him up. So, you know, um, I'm loving this book. That's really all I can say about that. I, and I wholeheartedly agree. So look at us coloring outside the lines. Uh, this is our nerd commendation, even though we all have nerd commendations this month. But um, I, I really am enjoying it too. And and particularly um, the opening scene of the first issue uh, that, that depicts um, John's birth was, was really touching. Um, and then for me, my favorite moment so far <clears throat> of the first three issues was um, the father-son discussion on on the moon, where uh, John legitimately tries to have a secret identity, and it lasts all of five seconds, and he carries his whole Jeep up to the moon and has a, a sit-down talk with his dad, and it's just a really beautiful, like, passing of the torch type moment, and, you know, it, it, it's funny where we talk about a lot this in comics a lot of, you know, the toys in the toy box and, and kind of dealing with what you're handed, and and I really, <clears throat> I, I, I hear what you're saying as far as the aging up process, but I think Tom is really going out of his way to be super creative and, and I'm, I'm won over by this and I, I really love this series so far. Oh, absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. All right. So again, coloring outside the lines today, um, Right after this break, we're going to have uh, a conversation that I had with my buddy Steve. You can find him at Howdy Duda, H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A on Twitter. Um, really fascinating individual, like never ceases to blow my mind with his insight um, and the way that he is just so intelligent and so well like versed in the history of comics. Um, so a super intelligent individual. Um, be sure to stick around for that coming right up. All right. Welcome to a special guest. Steve is here. You will know Steve from our sibling podcast, X of Words. You'll also know him from X of is for podcast. Uh, hide your hot dish and your pop because we got two middle uh, Midwest kids, ladies and gents. Steve, welcome to the byword. Hello, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is your official. We're gonna get ready to throw a lot of oops. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you betcha. Uh, so, welcome officially to the Nerd Byword. If you don't mind, uh, just introduce yourself to the audience and give us your uh, nerd origin story. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Um, I, I guess if we're talking about like comics, my nerd origin story probably begins with my dad, who uh, took me to a lot of the Wizard World conventions in Chicago when I was growing up. Um, just watched all of the cartoon shows from Marvel that he had watched growing up and then got to watch the new ones as they were coming out in the 90s, the animated Spider-Man series, the incomparable X-Men, the animated series. Yeah. From I mean... Speaking plainly, I think the X-Men animated series from 1992 probably created more nerds than anything else I've ever come into contact with, even X-Men number one, you know, the the Jim Lee one. 
Yeah. Um, if you, I mean, if yeah. you listen to like this week in Marvel podcast and they have like celebrities that aren't affiliated with comics, that's their go-to answer. It's a very good answer all the time because it was extremely exciting. The theme song plays in my head all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like anytime I'm looking at some X-Men comics, I hear that song in the background when there's a particularly rad scene coming across. And, you know, I like, I spent some years away from the X-Men, but I never stopped being into nerdy pursuits, I guess, um, you know, reading comics, reading genre fiction, being into uh, niche subjects, stuff like that. It's just always been a thing. So I've always strived to be as authentic as and, and as real as possible. And, and having a news story come up like this, and then, you know, Dave and myself, two straight guys, yammer about it. It felt a little out of touch. So uh, as someone who identifies as bisexual, and regardless of being current with the series or not, reading John Kent a lot, John Kent comes out as bisexual, comes across your timeline, and you immediately think what? <laughs> well, I'm first of all, I'm frustrated and irritated because the only way that this kind of news gets across my timeline generally is me seeing a very bad take from somebody else about <laughs> it. Uh, so <laughs> I, I like like many people, uh, like myself, like many bisexuals, I found out that John Kent is bisexual because I saw somebody straight screaming their head off about how it <laughs> can't be and it shouldn't be. Uh, I saw that that one Arizona senator. Oh, Louis, say. Louis Lane. <laughs> Uh, yeah, say Superman loves Lewis Lane. Uh, that's that was that tweet was so wrong on so many accounts, and I'm not even like a Superman fan like that. But it really, <laughs> I don't know. So my my first uh, feelings about this were definitely defensive feelings uh, for sure. But also like there's just this like cool swelling pride when you see that Superman Superman is queer, Wh whatever Superman it is, it doesn't matter. Right. Superman is Superman. Superman's an idea and it's a very good idea. Um, so some panels recently surfaced and uh, we, we were talking off air and you didn't, you didn't catch these, but, uh, and I believe they're from the recently released third issue uh, of this series, which I should say is Superman, son of Kal-El written by Tom Taylor, art by John Timms, uh, where John is is bringing Jay Nakamura to home to meet his family. Real shades of guess who's coming to dinner. Hopefully, you know, Clark and Lois are much more open-minded than that. But can people really be surprised by this if he's bringing him home for dinner? And Jay is, uh, to be clear, Jay is the boy that we know Superman is interested in kissing, yes? Yes, that is the one where we have the preview image of them kissing. Right, very nice. It was a really cute image. Um, yeah, it's it's funny because like you know you can read a bunch. If you're a certain kind of comic reader who wants to believe that your worldview is the only one that is valid, then you can read a comic where Superman meet cutes with a boy, and then takes him home for dinner to meet his parents, and they have a lot of you know friendly intimate moments, and then a few comics later they'll kiss on the mouth, and you'll go what. <laughs> this came out of nowhere. Right. Lazy writing. Go woke, go broke. Yeah. I mean, like, it, absolutely. Um, I am not reading this series currently. Uh, I did pick up the first issue, but Tom Taylor is not always my cup of tea. Sometimes, definitely. But um, occasionally does not really meet my my criteria for nuance in, in a comic book. Um, although I, his heart has always been in the right place. And that's something that I think you're seeing here is that Tom Taylor always wants to do inclusive things, always wants to yeah. confront these yeah. large systemic issues, whether or not he always succeeds in that is up for debate for sure. Um, but I, I really love what he's doing here. I really love what he's trying to do here uh, unironically. 
and that I that echoes it's it's crazy it feels like those were my words like I, that echoes exactly how I feel about Tom uh, I, I I'm a big fan of his work um and is particularly his friendly neighborhood Spider-Man X-Men Red I remember enjoying at first and then like seeing like other people's perspectives and their kind of reads on that and then like and that's why I say I like to bring diverse you know perspectives because like I never would have thought of that you know, hearing what, how yeah, black um, people felt about X-Men Red, you know, like Jean Grey girl bossing her way into a, a similar issue that, you know, mild spoilers, but what we read today in X-Men 4 of kindness, kindness, kindness. Uh, I feel like X- X-Men Red is one of those series that like, yeah, a lot of us, especially those of us who are white, um, were a lot more excited about it when it came out. Uh, I didn't actually read it when it came out, although I remember the X-Men fandom being like incredibly positive mm-hmm. about it. It's a good series. It's got great art. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't really do what it thinks right. it does in the series. And everybody is absolutely correct about that. And its treatment of uh, many different issues is 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 often kind of blinded by the layers of privilege that Tom Taylor himself has. Right. Um, and that's honestly, that's why I didn't pick up uh, issues two and three of the series. I'm not here to talk shit about this series, to be honest. I don't know if I can swear on the show. No, go for it. Um, sorry. But um, yeah, I mean, like I can see that Tom Taylor is a- attempting to do something like X-Men Red here with Superman. And I honestly hope for the best with it. I hope that it, I hope that it succeeds where X-Men Red sometimes faltered. Right. Um, now, in, in the tweet that you shared with me was really, was really eye-opening. Um, so some are suggesting that this reveal, which took place, um, or excuse me, which takes place in a preview solicitation, uh, hitting the news cycle yesterday on National Coming Out Day is a bit performative. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it is in in that, like, it's deliberate that it comes out on this day. Uh, it's deliberate that the news is shared publicly. Um, the tweet in, in mention was by Junie Ba and talking about, you know, like wondering would this story have been, could it, could it have been done just without any fanfare, without any of the right. telling the world on national coming out day that Superman was by with them kissing on the headline. And like, I am all for all of that. I'm all, I'm all for all that fanfare. I think it should happen. I think the world should be shouted at about, queer heroes especially if superman right. is going to be queer the world should know and Junie Bao's point i think was that um it's performative in the in the sense that like if it wasn't done like this would it have gotten the necessary attention for it to be a big thing would would, would the would the larger mainstream world have right. noticed in this book that is not you know superman it's superman son of kal-el it's a legacy character. It's coming out from DC these days. There's a lot of people who will miss this comic or would have missed this comic, especially if they did not know that there was something so momentous to pick up in it. And it's it's an interesting question, and it's something that honestly should be asked and thought about. Um, do I think it's performative in that like it shouldn't have happened? Absolutely not. Um, there's going to be plenty of people who are going to say, and I've already seen some of these really trash takes, people saying that like, oh, well, you know, this is just DC trying to make itself look better than it is, more progressive than it is. And while that's completely true, that is true of the mega corporation that is DC Comics and Warner Brothers, but like, or whoever owns them now. (laughs) AT&T or Discovery or I can't keep track. (laughs) Yeah, my phone company owns DC. But (laughs) um, like, 
regardless of all of that, like it is, it is exactly that, that is true, that that is the financial and the corporate motivation for this. But like, it's also real. It is Superman is bisexual. Um, It is explicitly confirmed uh, in the news and nobody can take that away. Um, I, I think that a lot of people get wrapped up in this idea that a legacy character can easily be forgotten or rewritten out of continuity later. And while that's true, there are kids right now picking up the book that says Superman, son of Kal-El on it and seeing that Superman is a bisexual t- teenager or a young adult yeah, and that he's just like them and that they, they can see themselves reflected in this, the greatest of American superheroes, you know? Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I think American, sorry, it's not even, <laughs> yeah, but we'll get into that. <laughs> and I think, um, I think it's really interesting that you say that because like whether or not, whatever the intentions are, whether they are pure on Tom Taylor and company's part, whether they are, uh, you know, the corporate overlords saying, look here, we're diverse, we're progressive and whatever. The byproduct of that is kids who identify as gay or bi or lesbian or whatever, they see an LGBTQ superhero that is like them. It's the same thing. You know, my son is, is biracial and he's also gay. And, you know, when into the spider verse came out and he already adored miles already adored him because he looked like him. He could identify with him. And, you know, like now he doesn't think Superman is very cool. And I've had many arguments with him on that, but like still the same, you know, the iconography of Tom Taylor doing a CNN interview with the Superman shirt in the rainbow colors. Like that's just powerful, man. Like no matter what. It is powerful. And the impact is honestly all I care about here. Like, I mean, intentions do not matter to me so much as the consequences of your actions and the impact that they have on other people. Um, it is 100% worthwhile to discuss the intentions here because there are so many, you know, there's, as you said, there's the nuanced overlay of uh, well-intentioned, but maybe sometimes faltering from the writer to the obviously cynical and capitalistic intentions of the company publishing the book to the intentions of the people running these, these news pieces that, you know, push it very much into the mainstream um, to the people retweeting them. And I think that when it comes down to it, uh, the thing that matters most to me, and I think the thing that matters most to maybe the comic book reading kids who will pick this up is just that, yes, there's, there's definite representation here. It is positive representation and it's a new young character that is going to probably be around for quite a bit. Uh, what are your hopes? And this is a big, this is a galaxy brain one. So what are your hopes going forward with regards to LGBTQ representation in comics or even popular media at large? Is this a springboard thing or, or just like, what's, what's your manifest mode thing? I, I don't like to sound pessimistic, but I I don't actually think this is much of a springboard thing. Um, if only because, you know, North Star came out as gay so long ago, got married, uh, a much longer time later, but still pretty long ago in, in relative terms. And, you know, like, where are all the trans X-Men? Right. Um, where are my envies? Where, where, where are the, right. the intersectional Avengers who could really be representing those who are most marginalized and currently most attacked by our own government, by the people around us, by the media that we consume. Um, 
so as much as as much as this is a huge moment and as much as DC is honestly doing doing the work of starting to move towards more diverse and more inclusive sexual orientations among their superheroes, even if they are largely the whiter superheroes sometimes, but like this, these are steps and these are baby steps, but I don't necessarily think that like John Kent being bisexual is going to mean things like more trans superheroes. Although I want that. And I want to, I want to explicitly state that this is what should happen. This is what needs to happen. We need to see more real representation on the page explicit and intersectional do you think things like um the dc pride issue and and the marvel voices um one shots help in that regard or is it more i don't know yeah i mean i i I personally like the pride annuals and one shots and stuff like that um on the one hand it does kind of uh relegate them to a thing that you can do once a year on the one month when you have to be loud about gay rights in order to make more money um, that is true. That is absolutely true. But it also means that once a year we get to see um, a lot of the people who represent us all together and intersecting in stories. And sometimes those are done extremely well. And I like getting a spotlight on queer voices, especially when there are queer artists and writers uh, working on them. So finally, as you know, our last segment is typically nerd commendations. However, this month I'm being tortured with Nerd Nightmare. Um, so please give me some some light here. Uh, at the end of the tunnel, give, give me some nerd commendations for the listeners. Uh, nerd commendations, like uh, comics that I think they should read. Comics, like comics, shows, games, whatever, man. Uh, pick up the many, uh, sorry, the many lives of Layla Star, the many deaths of Layla Star. Oh, yes. Um, I read the first issue and I was just spellbound. I need to get back to uh, it. Immediately read the rest. <laughs> it is, oh it is uh, one of the best things I've read in a long time. Is absolutely gorgeous art by Felipe Andrade. Um, the, 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 the art was literally like arresting me. Like I yeah. could not. It's a revelation in oh. many, many ways. Uh, absolutely ast- astonishing work. Uh, really love that. Um, Gamma Flight by Crystal Frazier coming out right now. Ooh. Listen, if you are an Immortal Hulk fan, if you really enjoyed all oh, that, oh. you're going to really love Gamma Flight. And I hope that you pick it up in the trade or at the last few issues, which are coming out now. All right, Steve, thank you so much for your time, man. And we will have to bring you back because you're a huge Trekkie. And so I'm almost, I'm working my way through DS9 and and we want to have like a big DS9 exclusive episode and why it's the best Trek ever. You said you were uh, working through DS9 and I just like let out a sigh like I had just smelled like some of the finest champagne. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, a a fellow true believer. Uh, Good job. Yeah, I'm happy for you. I'd love to come back and talk about Trek anytime, honestly. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Steve. Mm. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. All right, special thanks to Steve. Again, you can find them at Howdy Duda on Twitter. Um, A subtle plug for X of Words again. Um, And when we come back from this tiny, eensy-weensy break, we're going to hit you with uh, our big talk for the week with Lanier Burton of From Scratch Comics. All right, welcome back for this week's meat and potatoes segment. Woo! We are here with indie creator Lanier Burton of From Scratch Comics, the CEO of the company, ladies and mm-hmm. gents. All right. 
So uh, anytime, Lanier, that we speak with a new guest, we like to start naturally from the very beginning. What's okay. your nerd origin story? When did you really first realize that nerdy stuff was was your thing? Um, I definitely have to say when I was a kid, I was at my grandma's house and, you know, she had cable at the time. So I was watching a lot of uh, Cartoon Network. So Cartoon Network and like Nickelodeon and like Disney, but I would probably give more credit to Cartoon Network. That was like the birth of my nerdiness. Powerpuff Girls, Dexter's Lab, um, Ed, Ed, Nettie, Johnny Bravo, Courage the Cowardly Dog, uh, Samurai Jack, you know, all those st- shows and stuff like that for sure. I was just like, oh, man, this is great stuff. <laughs> um, so any characters in particular that stand out? That, you mentioned some greats. Like, were there any that really stood out to you? Samurai Jack. That was the one show that oh, I was man. like, holy sh-. And then, like, just the way, even as a, even a, even being that young, I knew that the way that they were telling the stories was just really impactful and epic, and it was really cinematic. Um. It was just a beautiful series, and to this yeah. day, I still rewatch it a lot. And you know, I'll, I'll watch the behind the scenes and how they storyboarded things and how they, you know, came up with certain things, all types of stuff. Oh, so you're really into the the nuts and bolts, you know, the mm-hmm. the the how the sausage is made type of stuff. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, that's pre- that's practically how I've always been. I want to know how something's made. I'm not. I want to know the history behind anything that interests me. Most times I spend my days just watching documentaries on how certain businesses were formed and, you know, certain products and certain characters and all these things, because it just helps you understand that, you know, these things don't just come in a vacuum. These things are crafted over time and, you know, different ingredients are added to make something successful. And I'm always into that kind of stuff. I'll never forget being mesmerized in elementary school. The first time I saw like a crayon factory, like the Crayola factory and like they mm. melt down the different colors mm-hmm. and they separate it and go into the molds. Like it just blew my mind for some reason. Yeah. So you got some pretty distinctive branding. Uh, so where did the monikers from scratch and coolest Dolo originate? So Kid Cudi has a song called Mr. Solo Dolo um, from his first debut album. And when I heard that song, I was like, this is really, it not only was it a really good song, but I just loved the dolo part. And I was like, huh, that's cool. And I was like, oh, cool, that's dolo. So then it, made, it became my uh, Twitter moniker. And then down the line, it became the uh, name for my website. And it's the thing that I say the most. So it's it's just funny how it came full circle like that. Uh, to this right. day, some people still call me just coolest dolo. <laughs> it's just that's funny. Awesome. It's funny how your Twitter name it's something so innocuous as that can be like a really big thing or a marketing tool for you. Yeah. I, I get people to that refer to me by my Twitter name. Like they, they don't call me Chris. They're like, Hey, do you remember that nerd Chris? I'm like, Oh man, like I, this is kind of <laughs> crazy how this just happens. Yeah. Right. It just has a life of its own. As for the yeah. from scratch. Um, yeah. That really came to me because at the time when I was still making music, I was thinking of ways that I can, um, uh, 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 come up with a name for a record label and I was coming up with different ideas and I was like you know what let me do from scratch because that's the ethos of how I create things from scratch from mm-hmm. nothing like I come from nothing so I create from scratch right and it just has this really home homey kind of vibe to it it's very um homebrew very do-it-yourself kind of kind it has a do-it-yourself kind of aesthetic to it and I I, I love it so you just hinted at it and you know it's 
in your Twitter bio and in the preliminary conversations when we were, you know, scheduling the episode, uh, you talked about working in the music business. So, so tell us a little bit about that and what made you decide to transition into to writing comics? Oh yeah. So when I was in doing music, I was doing a lot of um, producing, like making beats and music. I was doing a lot of the uh, mixing, um, writing, rapping, singing, you know, I would produce a lot of different projects for different artists, like in my city and artists that I connected with, like little short EPs. Um, I think all together I published about 166 songs spread across like several different EPs and mixtapes and all types of stuff. Did a tons of different shows. Um, yeah. And um, over time, like I just felt that I wasn't really reaching the full depths of my storytelling ability. So like it, it just, I just wanted to evolve into my next form, but um, I still incorporate music into what I do today. Like I'll do soundtracks for the comic books that I make and I'll make little songs here for the promo videos that I, I, I design and edit. So, you know, it's, it's all just a learning process, but yeah, I think that was probably what it was. And plus music is really a young man's game. I'm 29 now. So like, <laughs> it's just things like, you know, things that they do and say now, like I, you know, it's just different, you know, like you just know, like, okay, I just let them do their thing. I, I, I teach, um, Dave and I both teach, you know, uh, middle school, you know, for our day jobs. Uh And I've never felt older than, you know, whenever something transitions and becomes trendy with 13 and 14 year olds. And, you know, like I'm only 33, but I feel like 68 when, you know, they, they, they things go in and out of fashion so quickly so like yeah they do. I, I feel absolutely ancient they really do so so like you're a big time like creative mind like you're an artist in, in so many different facets of of the word so who would you say your biggest creative influences are both in music and in in writing creating kanye west was my biggest influence of all time uh, I had never seen another black man who was so unabashedly creative and he was just confident, arrogant. Um, he spoke his mind, but he could back it up with his work ethic and what he brought to the table. So I just had to give all credit to Kanye West because I, I just remember watching him in awe of him as a, as a young black male. I was just like, I want to be just like him. And in a lot of ways, I've emulated um, a lot of his a lot of, um, you know, aspects of his his, uh, his personality and just how he does things. So I got to give big credit to him. Preaching to the choir, man. I, I will never forget when College Dropout came out. I was like, this is, I've never heard anything like this. Like Through the Wire came out mm-hmm. and like all of those. So, okay, so fine. Uh, we got two Kanye fans here. Um, mm-hmm. What's your favorite album? Uh, definitely my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. I just love the rollout for that album at the time. And that was the first time that I started looking into lyrics. So like I would actually like really delve into what he was saying and the production value was great. Uh, just to create, he was a, he was just in a really creative zenith at that moment in time. But I will say graduation is up there too. Again, another yeah. perfect rollout of some of the most amazing singles. Um, yeah, you know, as you can hear from me, I really like the whole package. I like uh, when right. a creative can put something out and it's multimedia. So I love the presentation. I love how they promote things. I love how it's packaged. You know, I'm really into these things because it's it's really like a time capsule. It's I really I'm really back things that are presented really well. So yeah, that was a big one. 
it's really funny that you say exactly time capsule because I remember the stages of my life that I was in. I remember being mm-hmm. in high school when college dropout came out. I remember my college years and kind of how graduation, it was kind of like a tapestry kind of weaved in. And then, yeah. you know, I was, it was at the tail end of my college career and now, you know, I was heading into the workforce with, with, um, with his next album. So plus that album cover for graduation, uh, the Mirakami, it was just really, oh it, just, it was just so, so vibrant and beautiful. Yes. And I was just like, what is this? And it, yeah, it, see, but that's why, man, Kanye, he was just so cutting edge and I just really yeah. respected what he was doing. Though I, I tend to disagree with certain, you know, things he says now and all this other stuff. Right. But I, you know, I still really loved, I still really loved the man. I can't even knock that. And Donda, I felt was a really good return to form. But, um, as you can see, yeah, big Kanye fan. Um, I'm a big fan of, uh, Quentin Tarantino. I love his films. I love uh, Gindi uh, Tarkovsky, the man behind. Yes, uh, Samurai the, Jack, the of original, course. and the Clone Wars. Uh, yeah, the and OG the Clone, Clone Wars. Wars. Yep. Yes, I really love how Nintendo as a whole. I love how they operate and how they how they put out their IPs and stuff like that. You know, I love Apple. Like it's just you know, I just love like different this, things. This quirky, yeah, I'm I'm sensing a trend like this kind of quirky, kind of niche type thing of, of like just sitting in the corner creating your thing and and just letting the authenticity flow that's the vibe i'm getting mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i'm really drawn to things with a great story behind them so yeah it's just i'm 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 inspired by pretty much damn near everything <laughs> <laughs> like literally you could just name it i'm probably like oh yeah i know a little bit about that or you know yeah um, so the comics that you've written that are on your website, coolestdolo.com, mm-hmm. um, they cover a wide variety of genres. So it's funny that you say that you can be inspired by anything because you've got sci-fi books, you've got street level crime, horror, Western. So yeah. how do you go about choosing that? Or do you just let it come to you? Um, most times it just comes to me. Uh, it could just be spur of the moment. Um, I always like to think of myself as uh, I'm kind of like a vessel for these stories. They just kind of flow out of me, and if a character ruminates in my head long enough, and they just they just kind of spill out. So that that's definitely what happened with Clover Cassidy. At first, it was, originally I had planned it to be like a one page sort of one shot thing, but then the story just kind of took a life of its own, and you know, right? It just it just was birthed, and you know, same uh, a lot with the other stories too. I just like to create a lot of stories that interest me. And it just so happens a lot of other people love them too. But I always like to create different worlds and different stories, and I like to I like to give myself a challenge creatively. And I just love to do different things. If I I always felt if I do something for too long, just one thing, I kind of get bored, and I'm not really creating to 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 the right. extent that I want to. Because like the the people I named prior, like they're very creative. I mean, even uh, for instance, like a Stanley Kubrick. You look at his filmography, the man did literally everything. The Shining, horror, Full Metal Jacket, war movie, uh, Barry Lyndon, her- uh, historical drama, uh, freaking tw- uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. Uh, you know, I, but it, and it's just stuff like that that really pushes me to be like, you know what, let me do more than just what I may be comfortable with or, you know, just one thing. I want to do everything because I really want to stand out. And that's really fascinating that you say that, too, because like I... I... That's been a recent kind of, I guess, kind of realization for me is like when you become like a niche type thing or or an entity or Mm -hmm. you're only commentating on one corner of of a genre, then, you know, it's really like a one trick pony kind of situation. And you're really, 
like and and you know like your personal tastes and your interests and the things that interest you it's not monolithic you know like people people are multifaceted you know they're like like what shrek you know they have layers they're yes they it's, do. it's multifaceted so uh i i love that you're you just open to uh whatever and it's not just uh, one type of thing oh yeah plus i have different multiple sides of my personality and i'd like to imbue that mm-hmm. into my work into my characters so every character that you guys read on the page uh they reflect me it could be good or bad but they that they represent something in my soul in my very spirit and being and I'm just putting it into the story. And uh, yeah, it's just really fun to do so. And um, another ca- caveat to my history, I used to make short films. So I was a director. Oh, man. Yeah, I would direct, write, um, shoot and edit my own films too. A lot of those you can still see on my YouTube. But um, yeah, so I still think of myself as a director in a lot of ways. And the artists that I work with, they're like my cinematographers. So, you know, that's how I like to think of things. So you just hinted at it. So you've collaborated with several artists on your books. Um, how do you make those connections? How do you select the right artists for the right project? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just I always look out for different talent. And um, I always keep my eyes open to like uh, Instagram and Twitter and all this other stuff. And y'all just reach out to them. I'm like, oh, you know, hey, I'm Lanier. I've done this, that and the third. You know, I thought your artwork looked great. I think we should work together. You know, but pretty simple like that uh as far as like how i know who to pick and choose like it really depends on the project that i'm working on i'll be like oh they got an interesting style or oh this is great you know i like to do i like to give people a chance so even if they have like this really out there kind of style or something that other people wouldn't really use or care about i like to use that person i want to use that person because they fit what from scratch comics is about from scratch comics is about um being a place for like all different artists uh, and art styles to work with me and just, uh, yeah, just making something unique instead of, you know, doing things that are kind of mainstream or what you think might appeal to people. I just like to try everything. Right. So creating comics is still a very recent venture for you. Have you had the chance to do any like conventions or, or anything like that or any that are coming up? It's so crazy you say that. Cause by the, t- cause I started in 2019, right? So by the time, right. Of 2020 when I was going to get ready to do all this stuff the pandemic happened and you know that was a whole thing so starting next year I will be at um, a convention in my hometown here in Milwaukee uh, provided I still get uh, the position but I'm pretty sure I will but either way uh, I got that set up and then I have Heroes Con for June of next year too so it's going to be fun I've never been to no, I've never been to a Comic Con ever so this will be really great Oh man, Milwaukee! I'm still not recovered. I'm a Miami Heat fan, and y'all, y'all, <laughs> y'all, y'all swept us, and I'm still not recovered. So. Oh yeah, that was a man. I'm still hurt, man. I, when the, I, when the Bucks won, it was it was crazy, man. That's how I knew it was a great year. So I, I'm still, I, I still give the defense that like we went to the finals in the bubble, and then we didn't have an off season. We just turned right around, so we were exhausted. So that's what I'm telling myself. But we traded for Kyle Lowry, and it's all gonna be good now. Heat culture is back. Yeah, you know you guys are uh, gonna do your thing, but um, Bucks and Six—that's all I gotta say. <laughs> uh, all right. So the final segment of our show uh, is something that we've coined uh, as nerd commendations. Uh-huh. So it's recommendations of like nerd media that we're enjoying, and we share out 
those with our listeners like hey this might be flying under the radar be sure to check out this comic or this show or whatever mm-hmm. do you have any nerd commendations that you're enjoying right now oh for sure there's this channel on youtube you guys should check out it's called great art explained and um the guy he just goes over like different artists and art um their most famous artworks and just like learning the history of how they created their art and um and all that is just amazing. He just did one recently on Robert uh, Smithson. Uh, he made the Spiral Jetty. It's located in Salt Lake, uh, like uh, like Salt Lake City or Utah. I'm sorry, Utah in general. And it's literally like this little this spiral shape, right? And it's and it's in like this this uh, this little lake, but it's an artificial lake. So the water it, it it comes in and out due to like the rainfall or whatever the case and then due to krill and bacteria the water changes colors so the spiral looks different and it kind of submerges and it leaves and it's just a really beautiful thing you guys should check it out <laughs> our great art explain man i'm missing my humanities class from college now you got me reminiscing um so are there any future projects, any future comics that you got in the works you can tease at this time? Oh, yeah. I'm working on several things all the time. Um, I got a big lineup for 2022. Um, man, just so much. I have a crossover event with all my characters coming out. It's called Multiverses. Uh, it'll be out next year. Um, that's probably the most thing, the, the biggest thing I'm excited for. Uh, it, it was just beautiful just to watch, see this happening. And of course, you know, more Clover, more news stories, more true science fiction, um, all that good stuff, you guys. Oh, and a lot of reprints and stuff like that. So you'll see a lot. Lanier, thank you so much for your time. Like this has been like a, a really wonderful kind of like creative summit, man. I feel so inspired to go out and create. Where can uh, folks go and support you and your work? Hey guys, if you're listening right now, and I know you are, uh, you can check out uh, coolestdolo.com. That's C O O L E S D O L O.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at coolestdolo and uh, Instagram at coolestdolo. And uh, yeah, be sure to support the Nerd by Word cat, by podcast too. You know, these guys, they got a great platform here for artists like myself and, you know, many other creators to talk to you guys. So definitely give them the follow first. And then, you know, come and see me. <laughs> Lanier, thank you so much, man. Again, that's Coolest Do-O from Scratch Comics, CoolestDolo.com. Lanier, thank you so much for your time and all the best to you and your future endeavors, man. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Uh, it's been great. <laughs> and to all the folks listening out there, you, if you want to get into comics or anything creative or just anything in life, the first step is just to do it. You, you know, really believe in yourself and um, yeah, just do it and just give it some time and it'll happen if you're really passionate about it. So. There you go. I mean, what more do you need to say? That's that's it right there. Yeah, like and subscribe. <laughs> All right, special thanks again to Lanier Burton of From Scratch Comics. Go to coolestdolo.com. That is C-O-O-L-E-S-D-O-L-O.com and read his work. Super fascinating individual um, and really, really creative and, and just like I really enjoyed that conversation and behind the scenes and the whole creative process. Uh, when we come back from this, our final break, Nerd Nightmare resumes. Yay! All right, welcome into the second installment of the 2021 Nerd Nightmare. Dave, I guess let me pass the torch or the flashlight with the shaky battery situation to you. So yeah, uh, back to Nerd Nightmare, uh, of course, means we have to touch on another classic 
of the genre. Uh, we're back to slashers, much like last year when we looked at the very first iteration of the Halloween franchise. Uh, today, we're actually going to be discussing the very first iteration of the Friday the 13th franchise. Now, uh, Friday the 13th, of course, uh, was released in 1980, is an independent film, uh, a slasher flick produced and directed by Sean S. Cunningham and written by Victor Miller, uh, stars Betsy Palmer, Adrian King, Harry Crosby, Laura Bartram, Mark Nelson, Janine Taylor, Robbie Morgan, and of course, very notably, Kevin Bacon. Um, And it's basically about a group of teenage camp counselors who are murdered one by one by an unknown killer while attempting to reopen an abandoned summer camp camp crystal lake this is an uh you know ultimately a movie that was inspired to, uh, to some degree by the success of john carpenter's halloween which had released a couple of years before um and so this is you know, in a lot of ways sort of imitating this notion of this this slasher flick uh that was really um brought into the mainstream by uh, John Carpenter's Halloween. So, Chris, I am very, very interested to hear what you thought about this movie. Um, it is uh, very, very different from some of the other stuff we looked at. It's very much rooted in its time. It's maybe not quite as timeless as something like Halloween or The Exorcist. So, what say you, Chris? Okay. Well, first and foremost, uh, full spoilers on the movie that's been out for 41 years. Um, How dare you, sir? <laughs> I, I did give the warning. Um, so um, I, I tweeted this out on social media, but this is basically Karen and origin story. Like, I mean, so <laughs> her kid, her kid drowns at a camp she's working at. And because two of the umpteen counselors were making whoopee, um, like everybody has to die. Like, make it make sense. Like, girl, you were also there yourself. And like, like, why not go after the counselors that were singing Kumbaya or whatever, my Lord, in, in the common room, um, you know, maybe have some accountability on your kid who's just swimming by himself. Like, no, 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 let's not let's not raise our kids that way. They can we can just blame uh, everybody else. It's real big. Um, why is my student failing uh, vibes, you know, at the parent teacher conference, you know? Um, so yeah, projection of blame here so much so that you're just going to slaughter everybody for the next, you know, uh, 30 years or whatever the timeline is. Um, uh, this was a, like, I, I got whiplash watching this movie from, from the exorcist because it is a markedly different, um, stylistically, artistically speaking. Um, you know, we, we talked about like the real austere nature of the exorcist. And it's really like a, a really like savant type piece of film. And then we go to this indie film where, um, <laughs> you know, the, one of the ones that made me laugh out loud, wasn't scared at all was bill hanging on the back of that door with like 15 arrows in him. Like and just, <laughs> just the image of, okay, how did this come together? You know, and we, we gripe a lot about things that happen off panel in comics or off, off screen in, in films. And like, how, how did she lit him? How did she light him up with like 15 arrows? Like, like, how did we leave that sign? How did that get cut out? Like, like, because I would have done anything to see um, this 
60, 70 year old woman, just lighten them up like Hawkeye, man, like old woman, old woman, <laughs> Hawkeye. <laughs> then, um, I also like she's pretty up there in age. Is it really feasible for her to sneak under the bed while while Kevin Bacon's character is making whoopee with his girlfriend um, and then stab through the bed? That can't really be comfortable. The arthritis has got to be setting in. Um and then it's just, 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 just wild, just wild. This is a lot. I mean, like there's love in your kids, but then like, girl, go to counseling. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So this movie was, was wild. Also the biggest thing. And I, I texted this to you is like, you, you were like, so how are you enjoying it so far? And I was like, well, enjoying is, a, is a strong word to use. But I, I said so far, this was before any slashing had been done. I was just clocking all of the uh, sexual assault, uh, compliances, you know, for legal purposes, because not just like the the horny teenagers, like it was every adult was like, oh, are all the counselors pretty like you, Miss Thang? And I was like, oh my god, this is disturbing. Like that truck driver, like I needed, I wanted to like come at him with a tire iron. Good lord. Um, and then uh, Steve, I was glad to make see him meet his end. The way he was stroking Alice's cheek like that, that was creepy as crap. Um, so, yeah, this is very, 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 very much of its time. Uh, when, you, when I see a 1980 timestamp, that makes so much sense. And we have come a long way. And uh, it wasn't terribly scary. Um, a lot of this, similarly to Michael Myers, was kind of telegraphed with the the shook, 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 ah, ah, you know, coming into the room. And like the, when you go to the first person camera view, Oh, somebody's about to die. So not as, not as spooky or scary. Um, I, I found myself laughing a little bit more than being scared here. Um, also this Dave, this one's really seemed much more than Karen and origin story, horror movie tropes, the origin story. So there was a lot of falling down while running in a forest. There was a lot of, um, white people doing stupid things. Um, so yeah, this is, this was a really interesting experience. I'll go with that. And then, um, you have, uh, children, child of the lake monster odd thing at the end. That one made me jump. That one did make me jump. Cause I did not see that one coming. Yeah. The ending in, in the context of the overall franchise made, made pretty much very little sense. Um, was an attempt to kind of telegraph that they were hoping to make a sequel if you know the money is there but they really didn't have any kind of idea what they were going to do with any sequel you know uh as kind of witnessed by the fact that eventually you know jason comes back and starts killing people for killing his mama which makes you wonder where he's been this whole time um so logic kind of goes out of the window I will freely admit the tropiness and campiness of it all. I have a real soft spot for this movie. There is something really special about watching this on the big screen with a crowd also. Um, when you have a crowd of horror fans getting together, that there's a you know a humor in, in the experience of watching this. It doesn't really hold up as particularly frightening in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I still have a lot of fun watching it. I really do like... Um, Alice, the final girl in this movie, and how she is uh, portrayed by uh, Adrian King. I think that uh, was a great character. And spoilers for the sequel: um, she gets killed off in like the first 
10 minutes of the sequel, which I thought was, you know, really missed opportunity. I, I liked her a lot. Um, and I will die on the hill that the best part of the movie is Crazy Ralph. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Death Curse. The, the Death Curse guy is the best. Uh, Walt Gorney uh, portrayed Crazy Ralph. And, and seeing him at every time I go into fits of giggles, his performance is <laughs> so good. It's so nutty. Of course, nobody would believe this guy. I love that he Absolutely just like, the, the, my favorite part is that he just like delivers the Death Curse warning and then just subsequently hops on his bicycle and pedals away and with like... <laughs> <laughs> you 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 may you may need to refresh my memory. I don't know if it's in this one or in, in part two, but at one point he like pops out of a closet and it's like there's a death curse and he just walks out and you're like why was he in that he closet? Comes out of the, in there? If memory serves, he comes out of like one of the cabins. I don't think it was a closet. Maybe. I can't remember. I'd have to look at the sequel again, but I just I love this guy. It's just like the best part of the movie. So yeah, um, after The Exorcist, I thought maybe you're in desperate need of a, a reprieve, and this one is a little yeah, milder. Yeah, it was a nice. Um, uh, um, so here's 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 a secret behind the scenes. Um, we're recording two episodes uh, in one day here, so I've already watched next week's, and yeah, uh, I needed this sucker in between. Yeah, I, f- I figured the the order of this is going to work out very well for you. Is this movie particularly scary? No. Is it a very, very important part in horror movie history? Absolutely. It's one of those quintessential early slashers that really brought, you know, the slasher movie genre to the forefront in the public's uh, eye. Uh, it, As you said, it's kind of like horror tropes, the, the origin story. So there's a lot of stuff in here that gets imitated in other movies. Um, so I think an important movie, even if uh, scary wise, it doesn't necessarily hold up these days. All right, Dave. So that is two nightmares down. Do you want to tell our listeners where we're headed next week? Yeah. So as big fan of Aquaman as you are, I figured our next shot, uh, our next stop should be a James Wan directed movie. Uh, he pretty much made his bones in the horror genre. So I thought best place to stop would be the first Insidious. Um, And I can't wait to talk to you about that one. All right, that wraps up another special episode of the Nerd By Word podcast. We thank you so much for riding along with us. Um, And if you like what you hear, be sure to like, subscribe, five-star review on your favorite podcast platform, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, or the greatest website in the world, nerdbyword.com. And of course, find us on social media. We want to interact with you. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdbyword or individually at that nerd Chris and at that nerd Dave. We want to hear all about your thoughts about our show and what you think might be interesting topics for us to tackle. Uh, So come find us and hang out. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy and stay alive. <laughs> the Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.